broadcasting from Eddington's Maquis Cruiser deep in the Briar Patch. This is Politrex. The Time Directive, the Declaration of Human Rights, the United Federation of Planets, the United Nations, the World War II, the Dominion Federation War, the Art of War, the Teachings of Sirach, Jesus Christ. Welcome, everyone, to Politrex, the show where we look at the socio-political happenings of today through the episodes, movies, and philosophy of Star Trek. So it's been a, a wonderful 2018 overall, getting to travel around to STLV and get to get this podcast up and running and through the uh, interwebs to you and to your uh, ears and everything like that. And my name is Barry DeFord, and he, with me now is the often imitated, never replicated, Mr. Shashank Avaru. How are you doing, Shashank? Namaste Homo sapiens. I'm great. Just before we began today, I got to talk a little bit about Barry's future plans and he was telling me about some things in Canada. And it's nice to know personally that if some if things fall apart for me here in the US, Barry can always adopt me I can, and I can move to Canada. I would adopt you in a hot second. <laughs> uh, how are you, my friend? Oh man, you know, sometimes being in Canada... You just have to look at the rest of the world and go, wow, holy crap, because there are so many things happening around the world right now. And as much as Canada has some very important things ongoing as well, it's just kind of crazy to think of a lot of the the different intrigue and just, I don't know, there's a lot to talk about. That's that's where I'm at right now. The the, the world is spinning and, and I'm a part of it. How about you? Oh, so you you're, saying, uh, you're saying uh, at the local Tim Hortons, people really aren't uh, talking a whole lot. Oh there, yeah, there, no. There's no yeah. commotion. Absolutely, you know, at the Tim Hortons, uh, someone uh, didn't didn't order a double double. They ordered a single single, and uh, boy, it's been the talk of the town. That's that's yeah. really what I mean. That, that's that would be a national crisis in Canada. But yeah, you're absolutely right, man. And I'm glad we can, you know, we can do our uh, our part. We can throw in our two strips of latrim by making sense of the news through Star Trek and talking about some of these current events and hopefully bringing some joy to the people listening. Yeah. Before we get to the news though, how can our lovely listeners get a hold of us on the social medias? Uh, people can get in touch with us on at Polytrex on Twitter. That's P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S. We are close to 450 followers. We are really close to 500. This is my personal vow. Once we hit 500 followers, get ready for this. I am going to write and publish a Ferengi love poem as written by Quark. And uh, it would be something he would have probably written in his teenage years, uh, something he would have hidden away from the world, but that is definitely going to happen. So get us to that 500 followers on Twitter. We are on Polytrex on Facebook, and we are a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions Network. Barry will give you some more on how to get in touch there through the Tricorder after all, but you can also follow the Tricorder show on at Tricorder show on Twitter. Barry, how, how can people know and listen to some of our other lovely shows on the network? 
Well, the Tricorder Transmissions has a ton of episodes on a ton of different shows with a ton of different topics and genres. So really, we're the one-stop shop for Star Trek in a lot of cases. So um, definitely check us out at thetricordertransmissions.com. You can always leave a message with us on SpeakPipe there too if you want to engage with us in that sense. Uh, while you're there, you um, can also tickle that uh, that Patreon tab up at the top and support the Tricorder Transmissions. We always like that extra Latinum as uh, Mr. Shashank was saying. We do have, it just to give you an idea um, of what you'd be getting into, checking out the Tricorder Transmissions, you've got our supplemental logs, you've got Reading Trek, Drawing Trek, Trek Ranks, Trek Profiles, Disco Trek, Shore Leave, the original mission, Weekly Trek, and of course we also have Queer Trek. It's just come out as well. So just so much to uh, so much to check out which always makes me pretty happy and if you do get on patreon you can listen to all kinds of exclusives for just a dollar exclusives like an entire one and a half hour episode about our puppies in puppy tracks so just which, a lot which of needs good a sequel stuff soon there needs to be a sequel some some like stuff has gone down with my dogs and in funny ways so yeah that that needs to happen soon yeah, and Zod is about to turn a year old, so yeah, we can definitely do a sequel. I think uh, all we need to do is listen from our patrons, and we can get that going. Absolutely. Well, there we are. So I think with that, let's um, let's head on to the news. What do you say, Shashank? Let's do it. Awesome. Welcome back, everybody. We are now starting out with the news, and uh, I've been itching to do a news segment for a long time. That that collaboration was wonderful, but there was no news segment, or else it would have been like a 62-hour episode. So let's get started, Shashank. What's our first topic? Well, uh, right out of the gate, Michael Cohen's been arrested. It's, what? Uh, <laughs> uh, what a surprise, right? Uh, oh, it's, my it's gosh. Been, uh, it's been reported. Uh, we're recording on... Saturday, the 15th of December. So it happened earlier this week, but he's been sentenced to three years in prison and officially, unofficially, uh, there are a bunch of charges around him, but uh, he has been, uh, he has been thrown in jail for three years and he came out with a, it's really a fascinating statement. You could, you read that statement and you almost feel sorry for someone who's clearly done so much evil in his life, but uh, there are there are some weird things he says in there, like this prison sentence is what makes me get my freedom back, uh, and I, I chose darkness over light when I followed uh, President Trump. But the the most interesting thing to me are the implications themselves, at least at this point, because now the president is an unindicted co-conspirator in in legal terminology according to the Constitution. Uh, if you take the presidency of it all out. Uh, he is that. And he, I, I have a bunch of thoughts, but this is just, you know, if, if we were to bring into the track of it all, there are a bunch of ways to go there too. But let me get some initial thoughts there, Barry. What what, what went through your mind when you read this? What, what was going on? Well, again, note my, note my complete lack of surprise uh, that Michael Cohen has found himself now a um, just, oh, you know, his life was so terrible under Trump and and now he's free, though he's going to prison and stuff. Like this is just, again, more of the dog and pony show that 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 like i don't know it almost feels like the drumhead to me at this point 
I mean, the TNG episode was much more about looking for guilt when there wasn't any, but I don't know, maybe it's sort of like a, a mirror universe drumhead where, where there's so much guilt, it's hard not to find it anywhere. So am I surprised? No. Um, I mean, is Trump going to get indicted? I guess, I guess my, my big question is what, what kind of change do we really want to see here? Because the master's tools will never take down the master's house. And really, I mean, you guys impeach Trump and then you've got Pence. Like, what's better? I don't know. <laughs> You're right. We, we don't know. It's like, it's like asking me, is Mirror Universe Kira better or Mirror Universe Kirk better? It's just a weird... Uh, Kira? <laughs> Kira. The answer is Kira. You, you don't know which one to choose because they're both from Kira. the Mirror Universe. I choose Kira. I choose <laughs> of course Kira. you do. Uh, but the, the, bigger, the bigger implication here, and you know, some, I'm sure a lot of people came to this observation, but before we get into the track of it all, uh, the, the realization that with all of this house of cards around pres- the president fall, falling down, the possibility that a guy committed an endless series of crimes throughout his life and to escape from those crimes, he became the president of the United States is one of the greatest plot lines of a movie or a TV show or a novel. And it would be incredible had someone said it out loud like that, had it not actually been happening right now. I, I, uh, I, I would just say to that, it would be great if it was a novel or a movie or a television show. It really sucks that it's reality, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I agree. But, you know, this is where uh, the, the chips are falling, uh, as they would, and people are scrambling for excuses to, to follow him into that darkness. It's like in the Wrath of Khan, when Khan's goons started following and Khan found himself increasingly alone, he did not just give in and, you know, say, hey, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, let's go. No, he, he went even more of it, out of his way. He became even more radical. So that, I think, is what is going to happen in the near future. And I think the next two years are going to be some of the craziest, most complex time, times in our political history. And, uh, yeah, I can't help but think of things like the Wrath of Khan because that, that is about a villain who starts off at the peak of his revenge and as the movie progresses, as things get closer and closer to the finish line, he gets increasingly alone and more radical and more destructive. And there is almost this primal need to keep showing off that that badness that he has. So just a lot of thoughts around this. But honestly, I, I should have said this at the outset, I'm happy that there is justice beginning to be delivered in these places. Everybody's been waiting. These two years felt like 25,000 years to me. So I'm, I'm glad we're getting some some semblance of justice. I, I guess like it, it feels kind of like the justice machine too in a lot of cases. Like the, the whole Trump coin started at the top and now it's like plink going down this like system of, of shoots and tubes and bells and little elevators and stuff. And you guys are all just waiting so patiently for the justice machine to finish things off. And I don't know, it, it feels kind of like a banal form of anti-corruption mechanisms all coming into place. And I mean, I guess that's really what the, uh, the whole justice system is all about, but I guess it's like, is this going to really like 
do anything to the larger superstructure of the justice machine itself, or is this just going to be the speed it's going to run at? I, I often wonder, you know, if we're if we're going to look at 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 future future steps towards something something more united as a people, you know, something that takes care of its its lowest and stuff like that, um, it might need a bit of a kickstart. Moving on to happier news, <laughs> the, the UN climate report says that we only have 15 to 20 years left before the planet goes into an irreversible uh, climate catastrophe that will end in the end of civilization. So there is that. Speaking of needing a kickstart, everybody, end of <laughs> civilization is a real thing. And if anything, yeah. if you really want to see, like, I mean, Shashank, you and I are talking about Kerala, right? The the lovely southern Indian province that is wonderful for holiday and hiking and wildlife and and beautiful ocean vistas. But I mean, it gets hit by tsunamis and, and typhoons and um, landslides and earthquakes and stuff like that. I mean, let's say Kerala becomes no longer livable, like you can't live there anymore. What's that going to do to the rest of the Indian population, right? You're going to have millions of people fleeing from that whole area to other parts. And I mean, that's what we would have to look forward to if this whole climate change thing starts really spiraling out of control. So I guess, I guess it's, it's sort of like V'ger's approaching and it's getting closer, and it's destroying everything in its path, how long do we want to wait until we finally send something out to figure it out? Uh, you know, things do look gloomy. I, I, won't, I won't deny that. And climate migration, which is what you're talking about, Barry, is yeah. definitely one of the biggest threats in the near future that nobody's talking about. And how can you? The, the news cycle is so busy and it is moving so fast and there is so much happening. How can you sit and think about what is going to happen in the in the next 10, 15 years? I, I get that, but I also believe in us. I believe in humanity. I believe in, you know, things like the climate change uh, summit that happened with the United Nations and what is going to happen in 2019 when all these new agreements that people are reaching now at the end of the year and how is the Paris Agreement going to turn out and countries are moving on without the United States in there. So. If you remember The Voyage Home, that we talk about that movie so often, and there are so many implications and joyful things to take away from that movie. But that movie begins with a group of people in a ship realizing that they're about to lose everything, and they have nowhere to go, and they do not know yet that something from the, from the depths of the earth is going to save them. You know, So at this point that those depths are within us and it it go it is incumbent upon us as a people to recognize the immediacy of climate change the the immediacy of needing to reverse it and you know there are so many so many things that that we need to do but you and i are two people who are doing our best and i hope Everybody does their best. Everybody tries in small ways. Everybody does something different in their lives that, that adds a little more to the reverse of their climate change. I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not meaning to take too long on this, but there are just so many thoughts there. But long story short, I, I believe in us, I think. I like that. And, and you, you know, part of that whole, whole speech you did there kind of reminds me of like, if we could have a full... Star Trek series with Captain Robo from um, the 2009 Star Trek. You could play him. 
and you could voice like a, a version of that of like i believe in us like the kelvin goes off on its like first mission or something like that but also like kind of where you're saying each and every one of us can do something i do really truly believe that and that's through direct action that's through you know enforcing um sustainability on your on your governmental leaders and pushing for that and finding sustainable ways to live but i think you know the one thing that again kind of elephant in the room nobody's talking about it though um really does come down to their larger corporate conglomerations huge companies that are that are or industries that are contributing to climate change in a way that no individual could ever possibly um equalize and i think that's another area we really should be pushing is that these larger industries are some of the worst polluters and at this point they're getting free rides in a lot of states and in many provinces as well uh, at least in canada and the united states so you know i think that's another big thing to do is is work on your own do what you can personally but also really start being that squeaky wheel because otherwise yeah here we are we're we've got 20 years folks and there's more trek to make and watch so i want more time to do that than to be worried about the effects of a out of control climate change i i'm going to take a little bit of a diversion from from trek and take you into my mythology in the mythology there is a one of our epics is called ramayana and it's the story of the god prince rama who finds out that his wife has been kidnapped and taken away across an endless ocean into an island and she's being imprisoned there by a demon so he eventually reaches the coast from the north of india to the south again we're bringing back south india that's great in this episode that's twice uh, and he has a huge army and they're all at the coast and they realize there is no bridge to get to that island which is on the other side of the ocean and so this huge army starts building this bridge they all brave the crashing waves and they're dying by the thousands as they build this bridge but drama the prince sees while he's seeing all this that a little squirrel picks up a pebble on the coast and puts that on the bridge on this huge bridge that is being built by tens of thousands of creatures and and then rama recognizes it and rama is actually an avatar of vishnu so he see like i said he's a god prince and he he blesses this squirrel and he gives it blessings so there is you're right there is no equalization to what a lot of the large corporations are doing but there is there is also something to be said about personal ethic and our principles as a people you know change always starts with one person uh picard we talk about picard so often we talk about cisco so often we talk about kirk so often those are people that sit up and stare into the darkness every day they stare into the abyss and they they do not they do not stand back and they are the ones who brave into it so you're right while there is that larger change that does need to be done steps that we have taken you know small steps that we talk about on this show like maybe not eat meat as much maybe not pick up that plastic silverware you know maybe choose paper over plastic maybe be okay with recycling your recycling everything that that comes to your house so there there is something to be said not just about everything and the equalization of the bigger picture but you know showing that you care about the planet and showing that you are willing to do your part 
I am full of speeches today. This is what happens when we don't record, Barry. I know, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm going to stop now. That's all right. Let's uh, move on to the next piece here. And this is something kind of ongoing happening and, and maybe a little bit harder to pinpoint. The uh, Yellow Vest movement in, um, in France uh, started on the... Um, the 17th of November. So we're, we're, we're coming on a, on a month that this has been happening. And I mean, some people on the different sides of the uh, political spectrum are, are saying, you know, this could be another 1968 Paris. And if you ever wanted to listen to really cool talk about that, Manu Sadia, he was on our Treconomics episode. He actually does a podcast called French Splain, and he talks all about the Soissons, as they would be called, the uh, 68ers and the Paris strike of 1968. I mean, we're not at those levels yet, but you know, we're they're they're verging around, you know, 200,000, maybe 150,000 protesters right now. And so what it boils down to is there's some duties that have taken place on diesel fuel, which of course is used by motorists um, all through uh, France and most of Europe too. And uh, Macron, the uh, prime minister said that the higher taxes on fuel were needed to fund renewable energy investments and all this. So I think what this kind of boils down to is, is when you're creating these taxes and stuff who are you taxing what what group of people has to bear the brunt and the 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 load of of these austerity measures even for a good cause like renewables um it's it's sort of sad that that this basically huge quick and swift change is now going to be putting so many people out of work so there's been protesters on the left and on the right um and so, yeah, you've got fascists on one side, you've got leftists on the other, um, both kind of protesting for similar similar things, right? A fair shake, but um, of course, very, very different outcomes. And, and they're, you know, obviously right-wing French political parties are trying to claim this for their own and center and lefter is uh, doing, doing the same as well. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy the, um, the way things are going. And I would say it's a pretty disjointed protest as it stands. Have you heard much about it at all, Shashank? Yeah, protests in France, what could go wrong? Just <laughs> with this news and the rise of uh, authoritarianism and fascism around the world, slowly but surely, uh, it, it seems like we're going back to, we're actually going back, in spite of our best efforts to avoid it, to pre-World War II world or the pre-World War II planet. It's there is there are so many signs that keep bringing us back there but it's you know it's like trying to keep the peace on the promenade while the klingons arrive and we're now supposed to coexist with klingons and romulans because that is the need of the hour and people don't want to do it and it's just it's such a weird sentiment especially when you bring in the fact that people are trying to not only cause protests they're also trying to claim a certain uh, sentiment out of this. It's like people saying, hey, I, I am fighting on the promenade because this Klingon guy started it or this Romulan guy started it. And nobody wants to agree or at least think about the, the truths that the bigger problem is that the dominion is coming and we have nowhere to go. And this, this war is what needs our attention. And it kind of irks me in that way. I, I appreciate what is going on. I understand why they're doing it. Uh, but, you know, they, there are bigger problems, not just within Europe, but around the world. And this is not helping, I guess is what I'm trying to say. 
Armwood, I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, we're, we're not too far off the, um, the, the timestamp for the bell riots. Right. And so for stuff like this kicking off, it's kind of a little bit maybe telling in that sense that at this point, the power of authority is starting to dissolve under the weight of these clandestine or fringe level um, political movements. And you're starting to see the, the pervasiveness of that, you know, leaving social media and all the flame and wars and shit posting that happens there. And it starts to move itself into the, into the real world, right? You know, you, you get into this macro sense of overall disdain for, Western democratic power, right? In a lot of cases, we've we've seen austerity measures hit us, and I, when I say us, like not rich people, uh, more often than not. And of course, this is this isn't going to last long. And they can keep trying to facilitate some kind of level of of decorum. I mean, look at look at the world that Cisco found himself in when he became Gabriel Bell and stuff, right? Um, everything took tickets, and everything took you know, different kind of waiting rooms. Like, I mean, they spent a lot of time in a lot of different waiting rooms. It almost feels like in that, that episode. And so, I mean, it, it's very telling that people aren't really willing to, to continue to, to lose more as this rich poor gap divides further and further as we start seeing our resources deplete due to either just straight up greed or this existential threat of climate change that is bearing down on us very much like yeah the dominion pouring out of the wormhole so yeah i don't really know what to say about how this is going to end and i worry that this could end up pushing the fascist movement even further but uh, i guess time will tell and i'm hopeful that uh, more sensible ideals of protest can can remain more powerful you know, I, I'm not trying to force a positive end to our new segment, uh, but I, I'll just say one thing that has been helping me and maybe it'll help uh, you or, or our listeners. I have really been trying to not spend more than two hours a day on social media. And uh, here are a few things that I did, especially considering this time of the year. I realized that a lot of us get time off this year. Uh, uh, this time of the year, and this is this is where we get to relax. But with the constant influx of news, and one of the negative effects that I've, I've noticed is that with social media, you kind of tend to instantly get the news. It's not like uh, you are waiting for the six o'clock news anymore. Everything is six o'clock news that's pinging into your phone. So I have deleted all my social media apps off my phone. And I clock myself when I'm on social media now and I get in there, I, I type something or I read something and then I clock myself out and I spend most of my day without it. And I realize, you know what, there is a lot happening in the world. It, it is burning down uh, quite literally in some places. And this is definitely something I need to be paying attention to, but there is just no end to the, to the negativity on social media. So I'm just, and I really hope you guys will maybe spend some time away from your phone or your social media apps and just take a little bit of time to be grateful for what we have as we get to the end of the year. The world will still be here, knock on wood, on January 2nd. So it's, it's completely okay to take some time off social media and uh, that urge to read the news all the time or keep refreshing our news apps or whatever we do to keep keep updated. You know, it's it's fine to just take some time to yourself. Maybe like, I, I implore all of you to do that. 
I agree. And and like Chakotay heading out into his uh, roundabout to meditate quietly over the new year, my lovely fiance and I are headed out to the mountains where there is no cell reception to enjoy new year's on a crisp mountain morning, which will be very nice. Yeah. The the whole thing is kind of like Ketrasil white social media and the, that, <laughs> that blue yeah. light that pings, you know, with the notification it's, we, we don't want to admit it, but it keeps giving us this, instant gratification that only leads us to the next urge for instant gratification and that's all that it keeps doing and like uh, the gym hadar we have to realize that there is a way our, our bodies can beat this our minds can beat it and we can hopefully live beyond it you know and it's going to be a struggle but uh, just take these 15 days or whenever this episode drops to just maybe clock yourself on social media and say, you know what, I've spent my half an hour for today, I'm done. Go watch a, go watch a movie, read a book, uh, those still are out there. A book is like something you read on your phone, but it's actually on paper and they're, they're all out there. So just, it, this is a sincere request. If you listen to the show, you're definitely uh, mindful, you're, you're someone who enjoys intelligent conversation really they're the best people in the world right yeah yeah absolutely Uh, i think so Uh, i agree full agreement you know and and you're people who recognize that our brains need need the year's been crazy and we'll get into the year end of it all when we get to that episode but it's been a crazy year uh this is not normal and the only thing you can do to be normal is doing what barry's going to do and what i'm going to do is just Take, take time off. Take time for yourself. There is nothing that's happening in the cell phone that, you know, is important enough for you to lose your peace of mind over. Yeah. I just like the analogy that everyone on social media are types of Jem'Hadar and anyone I ever get into a flame war with now are totally going to look like the third Ramada clan. So that's, uh, that, was, that was great. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I can help. Uh, with that, <laughs> You know, let's get into some happier stuff. Let's get into our main topic. Awesome. Welcome everyone to our main topic for today. Uh, Unfortunately, Barry DeFord, BD, the not so good looking one of the two, will not be joining us on this episode. He is off being in the real world and having a family and a life. So blame him for not being on this episode. I, of course, kid. I do not want him to be blamed in any way. He's just busy. And luckily, when he's busy, I actually get to bring in some of the more talented people in the community to join us and talk to us about uh, Star Trek and politics and the culture around it and what we do best with the show. And today I have Jamie McGregor. I'm sure you've heard of Jamie McGregor if you're a regular listener on the Tricorder Network. He's one of the regular contributors to Weekly Trek. You've heard him on this show when we did our live body treks from STLV, where we broke down the news and we covered the politics and society around the news updates and the way STLV was going. So uh, Jamie will jump in and introduce him, himself here in a little bit. But this is the penultimate, I would like to say. We'd probably do one more of these before we get out of here. Uh, It's the penultimate episode of our Section 25 series. Hopefully, if this show is alive and well, we'll definitely do a Section 30 series when we'll celebrate the 30th anniversary of Deep Space Nine. But hey, thank you for sticking around with us and listening to all 
of our many, many joyful discussions on DS9 as we celebrate its 25th anniversary. So for today, we're trying to do something a little different. If, if you, like me, grew up reading moral instruction textbooks and you had books and stories in which there was a moral at the end and they told you what exactly the story was trying to teach you as a child, that is kind of what we're trying to do today. We're trying to break down 25 lessons in no particular order that we learned from Deep Space Nine. These could be anything from the politics in the show to the decisions made by characters to everything that happened in that futuristic far away quadrant that somehow parallels and connects to our real lives. That's what we had planning to talk about in this episode. And we'd also love to hear your thoughts, your lessons that you think we did not catch, or just in general, how much you love Deep Space Nine. If you want to tell us, you can always find this show on at Polytrex on Twitter. That's P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S on Twitter. I believe we are the same name on Facebook. That's P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S. And we are a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions Network. So you can definitely reach out to us there also through Tricorder Show on Twitter. And you can find us on Tricorder Transmissions on Facebook. Just a delightful group. And one of our delightful group is joining me today. And that's Jamie McGregor. Jamie, are you there? Are you excited? Give us all your emotions. <laughs> G'day Shashank, uh, great to be with you to talk a bit of Deep Space Nine on Politrex. Two of my favourite things put together for um, for one episode. I'm delighted to um, to sub in for Barry. What, what's the saying? Often imitated, never replicated. And uh, look, I, I won't be able to replicate his um, you know laconic charm, but I will do my best from the other side of the world to. Uh, to hold up my end of the bargain and, and provide a few lessons that I've learned from DS9 for your listeners. No, actually, since he uses that to introduce me, I'm, uh, while you were talking, I was thinking we could introduce you in a different way. So from now on, every time you're on a show and I happen to be on it, I'm going to say, raising the quality up from down under, <laughs> it's Jamie McGregor. Ah, I see what you did there. Yes. Um, actually, Barry's the one, I believe, who has a map of uh, of the world on his wall that has Australia right at the top. Thank you very much. Right at the top left where we deserve to be. Uh, I know he's got a map of the world uh, structured a little differently to most people's um, usual maps. And uh, I did, did remember seeing that and I was impressed. Uh, of course, here in Australia, all of our classrooms have maps with us at the top because, you know, who says uh, who says that Europe and America are at the top? Well, they do, uh, but from our perspective, <laughs> it's a little different, so there you go. Well, uh, Jamie, before we get into the actual topic, I would love to hear how you're connected to Deep Space Nine. You're one of those people I have met who I can instantly tell, you, especially at SCLV, you had a t-shirt on with Vic Fontaine on it, and the way <laughs> you spoke and the things you brought up when we were talking to you and you told us about... Oh, the way you listen to our show, we could tell immediately that you were one of us. You were one of the Deep Space Niners. So tell me how you're connected to the show. And by the way, uh, Jamie makes awesome clothing and hats with his sister, Lillian. He gave me an awesome uh, Niners hat that I only have permission to wear during STLV. But <laughs> hopefully if somebody comes by, I'll, I'll let them look at my hat uh, next year. But yeah, tell us how you, how, you go, how you got into the show, how you're connected to it, and just your love for it. Well, my connection to Star Trek is through is through TNG DS9 Voyager. That was the the period when I watched the show down here in Australia. We had 
Uh, it was not on television either regularly or at a time when most people could actually watch it. If you were a dedicated viewer, you had to go out and get the VHS tapes from your local... We had a place called Video Easy. There's also Blockbuster and other places. So that was the way that you would watch the show. And that was something I had I had done and, and grew up watching the show. Really, the only reason I was at STLV is because of DS9. I was one of the DS9 documentary backers, and they had an STLV event. Um, I, I went for a specific DS9 documentary activity uh, because I've, I've loved the show since watching it and re-watching it as, you know, Trek fans are wont to do. And... Really, I find it to be the best of the of the, the shows. It's the one that I connect to the most. Um, I find it to be the most interesting. It's got the best characters. It had the best writing. Um, the acting was phenomenal. So you know that's and and you always have a soft spot for your favorite Trek, even if you enjoy all Trek, which of course I, I do. So anyway, that's my uh, that's my DS Nine story. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with me and our listeners. Tell me about how you approached the main topic. When I bought this to you and we started talking about it, you immediately went away and you started coming up with your list. Tell us about how you approached that uh, list and how you came up with your share of the 25 lessons we learned from Deep Space Nine. Well, from my perspective, I tried to, wherever possible, think about things politically. Um, obviously, this is Politrex, so I did that through a, a, a prism of thinking about what are some of the, the bigger themes into, from a socio-political point of view that, that I kind of pulled from DS9. To be honest, I just tried to think of my uh, the, the favorite bits and pieces of the show that I've had and what I felt, the, if not the writers were intending to indicate to me, then what I took from it anyway. Yeah, compiling it was actually a, a quite quite enjoyable. Trying to think about uh, think about something that you you love from a from a perspective of being just something that you would watch for fun, but actually also thinking more deeply about it. And you know that's what Politrex is all about. And um, yeah, fingers crossed, it's a, a comprehensible, intelligible list. What about you? My my approach was not that different from yours. When I approached it, I kind of sat down and and thought about. Hey, what are X number of things that I've learned from this show that, you know, I did not really think about when I was watching other shows or I did think about them. But as a Trekkie who consumes Deep Space Nine all the time, there are some things that I watch over and over. You know, they say repetition is key to learning anything. And when you repeat the consumption of a particular piece of entertainment, you tend to take away something every time. And I I sat down and thought about what exactly did I really take away from the show? And luckily or unluckily, everything I look at is through a prism of politics and society and how it connects to the bigger realm of things that define people and the way we run our lives. But the difficulty for me was trying to find things that I really took from this show that I would not have taken from, say, House MD, which I really like, or Justified, which is another show I like. And so I, I just sat down and thought, well, these are things that really made me think about what it means to be human. And these are things that Deep Space Nine let me get in touch with and let me reflect on a little more. And these might not be things that our listeners have not heard about before, but it's a way to again celebrate Deep Space Nine. Uh, we'll we'll start off with the first one, uh, first of the twenty-five. Again, no particular order. 
some of these are uh, kind of funny just so it's not all serious that was not intentional i really actually sat down and thought hey ds9 does that and it's it just happens to be funny but it's something that they really did in the show so well we'll start with the first one and uh, this i think is uh, one thing that i did not get from previous tracks and maybe i did maybe i did not take it away as much but it's strength in diversity uh, deep space 9 really hones in the idea that there is strength in diversity not just of ideas or backgrounds but the way you look at a, a particular incident the way you look at a particular event famously the previous tracks they they all had to get along that was one of the stipulations that Roddenberry had and that's great it was for the time that they had a show that did that that needed to show that when all entertainment was manufacturing conflict that was great but the fact that in DS9 you had characters that fundamentally were different kira is fundamentally different from zisco because of where she comes from and what she has been through and you learn that and you respect that and you realize wait the world is kind of bigger than starfleet the the universe is bigger than starfleet and starfleet can be wrong and you see that happen and you see the limitations of starfleet and all of that would not have been possible in in some ways without showing that that diversity or those differences of ideas and backgrounds like Dax is a character that literally has a bunch of people inside her. I'll I'll talk about that a little bit more, but what did you think of this first one? Am I too crazy? No, you're not crazy, Shashank. And I think Star Trek, in fact, has always been about diversity from a certain from a certain point of view and you know you only had to look at the original series bridge in you know in the 1960s and you have a a russian you have an african-american you have a a a japanese-american you have a, a great deal of diversity for the time and i think that is a message that star trek has always tried to put through ds9 had it in spades though and I think the fact that it was now a show where you weren't on a ship going out and exploring, uh, as everyone has always said that about DS9, oh, okay, you know, it was the it was the station that was boldly going nowhere. But what it allowed us uh, to experience as, as fans was to see the consequences of a whole range, a whole variety, a whole uh, different races of people coexisting in one place uh, for a long period of time and the consequences that come from that. And the, the notion that there is a lot of strength in the diversity of, of, of ideas, of backgrounds, of perspectives is very much uh, a part of DS9's DNA from my, from my point of view. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I, I, do, I do accept that, yes, there was a lot of diversity while Star Trek and TNG came out, but there wasn't diversity in the way of, you know, a character who's fundamentally not Starfleet or a main character whose agenda is different from the other members of the main cast and how there yeah. can be differences there. Anyway, let's move on to the second one. Give me give me one of yours. What, what lesson did you take away from DS9? Okay, so these are in no particular order, but I think my first one really does provide a backdrop for everything else that I've that I everything else that was on my list so my, my first point is that in and lesson is that in life and politics there are no easy answers and that most things tend to be a matter of perspective so I think it's everyone anyone listening to this who's familiar with DS9 uh, which should be everybody knows that it's 
got more shades of grey. You know, there's a great quote from Cisco where he actually says that to Worf. Um, you know, DS9 has more shades of grey, and of course the, you know, the little clip that Ira Stephen Bear can use to uh, flog his documentary, which I can't wait for. You know, is is easily found, right? That's your leading sound bite for DS9, and I think. There's been a lot made of the, uh, as an example of this, there's a lot made of the the duality of Kira as a, a freedom fighter or a terrorist, and it's a it's pretty ballsy of DS9 to have made their you know number two character in the whole show who you're you are expected to view the show through her point of view to a certain degree, and to make her effectively a terrorist is it was actually a pretty bold move. Now, yes, this is all pre-9/11, but even with that in mind, the the show sort of saying, you know, well, is she a freedom fighter, is she a terrorist? Uh, it it depends on your matter of perspective. I think one of the things that the show also says is that we shouldn't be afraid to make a certain judgment about that. So, we can weigh the evidence, we can have a look and see, you know, an episode like Duet is 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 heading in this direction. But we can actually look at the evidence that's in front of us and, and make a determination about people. So yes, things uh, there's no easy answers, and yes, there are shades of grey, but you can always make a determination, or you can be encouraged to make a determination based on the evidence of, of something that's in front of you. So yeah, that's kind of what my uh, my first point was. Does does that make any sense? Oh, absolutely. And it's important to also note that this happens on multiple occasions in the show at its best it's when you're really looking at a conversation from a certain perspective like the root beer conversation between quark and garrick on on the surface for the most enjoyable or the most entertained of of viewers who are just sitting there wanting to watch the show for what it is it's just two people trying to talk about root beer and how the humans are dumb for drinking it and how, you know, you kind of get used to the taste. But if you're someone who has been following the thread from episode one up until that point, there are so many metaphors and such subtext for what they're talking about and how, you know, the, the perspectives within even just simple conversations like that or on a bigger scale, if you look at the way Odo is treated by the Dominion, it's clear that, the the founders and what they're trying to do just you can tell on the surface that it's a great thing that you can look at it and go oh that's bad but you can sort of understand why they would do that to one of their people who has abandoned them betrayed them killed a changeling and is is now openly against their link what they're supposed to all represent. So there are so many of those moments where, yeah, you're right. It's nothing in life is is easy, uh, and nothing in politics is easy. There, there absolutely is that matter of perspective, and the, one of the that's one of the great things about DS9 is that it forces you to think from different perspectives. And Shishanka, I'd say that um, that for me is a lesson that I try to to take into my political life as a you know in the real world as you called it earlier uh and you know i kind of look at the different political struggles that are going on either in australia or the u.s or around the world and i i'm i've got this inbuilt uh sense in my in my brain that is telling me you know what there is there is something to every side every perspective 
And there's a certain, I think, humility that understanding that, that there are no easy answers and that some things are a matter of perspective that forces you to be to, to doubt what you think and to reanalyze it and think about it from someone else's perspective or someone else's point of view. And then you either make a decision, yes, you know what, I'm comfortable with what, I th- what I'm thinking, or you make a modification to what uh, a way you are reacting to something what is happening in the world. And I think that's a, a, a lesson from DS9 that we can very much take into our own engagement with politics, generally speaking. Yeah, and that actually sets up perfectly my my third, or I guess this list's third lesson that we learned from DS9 is that disagreements are necessary for growth. As I was indicating earlier, yes, there was diversity in in Star Trek before, but there wasn't diversity in ideas or perspectives or backgrounds. And that kind of led to characters being fundamentally against each other. Like you can see from the pilot until a couple of seasons in, really, Kira is just not happy that there are people on that station who are not supposed to be there. They Imagine her her perspective, right? As you were saying earlier, uh, they're from a freshwater nation and now there is another space government from far, far away that has just come and they're essentially dictating things and saying how things should be run while there is the looming threat of the Cardassians on them, the very people that tormented and destroyed their planet. So you can see that and then you can see Cisco, a man who's just doing his job. He's there... F- trying to make peace between two people that have a long, dark history and there are no rights, there are no clear-cut rights and wrongs and you're trying to get this place to coexist. So the benefit of having a show like DS9 is you can run into various places where you can see these disagreements, whether it be something as big as this or even, again, going back to the root beer, where Quark is always against, he just does not understand why people like root beer. And Rom and Nog seem to enjoy root beer, and he doesn't get it. So if you if you think about it from that really simple, superficial level to such a big arc where Kira goes from who she was in season one to who she is toward the end of the show, you can see that there are so many disagreements that force you to look at these characters over and over and that force them and in turn they show us how it's important to to understand why people are disagreeing with you and to accept those disagreements and then try to find common ground how that's one of the great things about the show is it it really shows the nitty and gritty of diplomacy and coexistence yeah i the way i would look at that is of course famously DS, the DS9 writers tried to move away from the constraints that Gene Roddenberry originally put on Star Trek, which were that, you know, this was now the a century where people would not have these kind of disagreements and the, you know, the Starfleet officers can't actually argue in within themselves. And, you know, that's everyone who, who has watched DS9 and Star Trek knows that that was a, a fairly famous departure. And, it was necessary. Now, the writers might tell you it was necessary for drama because, you know, without conflict, there is very little capacity for drama within the show. Uh, the way that the DS9 writers got around it was by saying, okay, well, let's put a bunch of non-Starfleet people there and, you know, light a match and away we go. And that obviously brought to DS9 a, an additional dimension by comparison to other Trek shows, I think, that that has held it in great stead 
and is probably why the show is as relevant today as it was uh, 25 years ago. Great point. Hey, what's your uh, next lesson about Deep Space Nine? So my next lesson, number four overall, is, and I'm trying to channel a bit of Barry here, taking a, a leaf from the, the book of trying to understand someone else's political perspective. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not a principled communist, so I will have to just channel him as much as I can. My f- next lesson is that local political organizing has power, and I think he would, he would agree with that. I'm using as my example here, Rom, in particular from the episode Bar Association, where he kind of starts a union and battles against the man. Uh, what we see, though, from the entirety of DS9 is the the difference that one person in particular can make. So that's just one episode where, you know, Rom starts a union. Okay, great, great pitch. Yes, our Stephen Bear says we're going to write that episode. But by the end of the show, what's happened? Well, just that spark and that particular story and the decision made by Rom there ultimately has a, a massive impact on the Ferengi nation itself, the Ferengi uh, economy, the Ferengi world. Why? Rom ends up being the Grand Nagus. And we see over the course of the, of the show the various steps that are taken as far as reforms that are, that are made uh, for, for for Ferenginar, and all of that stems back to this original piece of local political action that, that Rom puts in place. So uh, I thought that was a, a kind of a, a nice little lesson for us that, yes, local, local organizing is really important, and often it can have bigger impacts than perhaps we might foresee at the time. What do you think about that? And it's not just politics. I, I hate to say that on Polytrex, but even at Deep Space Nine, it's not just political action or local political organization. For example, Keiko School is a really good example too, in my opinion. If you think about how local action can take place, she's someone who's really uh, frustrated. She's at the end of a road kind of, and she wants to figure out something to do. And then she sees a need for these kids to have an education. And she just starts off by taking up an, an old empty abandoned space and she starts a school and yes things happen in that school but the fact that that action was taken and there was a there was a place for them to share ideas and again grow and learn uh, is is also a good way to understand hey these these kinds of changes start with one person and if you think about it interestingly the point that you just made in a way at the end of the show, Quark comes full circle. He goes from being the victim, if you can call him that, of the bar association situation to at the end of the show where he says, hey, Rom, I, I get what you're trying to do, but now I want things to change uh, to back to what they were because we are losing our way. And now he's going to start a local action. <laughs> Irrespective of whether you agree or disagree with it, the fact that that is available to do is is very touching. It's a very full circle moment, right? Yeah. No, I like that. I hadn't thought about that. And uh, again, thanks for setting this up so perfectly because my next lesson from Deep Space Nine, number five, is we are Ferengi, the Ferengi are we. I know a lot of us have issues with Ferengis, uh, especially in Deep Space Nine. There are multiple people that I've talked to who just do not like it when I talk about the Ferengis with such passion and they've told me on occasion, hey, you really shouldn't be beating the drum for these people. (laughs) But that's kind of one of the reasons why I do it. I think the Ferengis are in a way the purest, clearest mirror to our kind in Star Trek. 
they're imperfect, they're materialistic, they're nihilistic in a way, they're, they're characters who are aggressive and stubborn and set in their ways and they cannot even understand what change means, let alone accept it and move on from it. Uh, there are so many things about the Ferengis that are wrong, but that is also, when you talk about that, you should also take into account that there are so many things about them that are redeeming. You take Rom, you take Nog as characters who take up an ideal and they work at it and they force themselves to change and they realize that change is good and growth is good. And then you have characters like Quark who shamelessly profit off of people's emotions and they do their best to exploit people's weaknesses. You know, these are all traits of human beings. And these are, if we sit in a room and we are forced to look at, look at ourselves in a mirror, these are things we'd write down on a piece of paper if they ask us, hey, what do you see? These are all things that you see. You see redeeming things in human beings, and then you see the not so redeeming things in, in human beings. And yeah, the Ferengi is a, is a great way, I think, to look at ourselves without really having to force ourselves to sit down and break it down because that there are there you can learn all the lessons you need what to avoid what not to do what to do right the Ferengi teaches those things should i also shut up is is that also your uh, sentiment jamie no i'm delighted by how much you like the Ferengi and uh, the people that you talk to that say hey you should stop talking about the Ferengi they can go and get stuffed we are all allowed a different perspective as we've already covered and i think the reason the Ferengi do get you know, legitimately a bad rap is that generally speaking, the episodes that they were on weren't necessarily DS9's uh, highest points. And the, you know, the the writer's attempts at, at comedy shows in inverted commas didn't always land necessarily the way that perhaps they, they uh, might have liked and certainly haven't aged as well as perhaps the episodes that dealt with more weighty uh, matters. Having said that, it's very obvious that the Ferengi are a, are a kind of mirror to the capitalist society that we're in. Again, trying to ch- channel a bit of Barry here, and uh, it's important that we kind of that we see them as that, and that we can engage with that. And the fact that the two characters with perhaps the greatest character arcs on the whole show, Nog and Rom, are both Ferengi. I think tells you everything you need to know about how seriously DS Nine took the the uh, the opportunity that they had to provide a parable for us of our own culture reflected back at us. So, yeah, and love your your fifth lesson there. Well, thank you, sir. What's your next lesson? What's, our, what's another thing that we learned from DS9? I'm going to keep this pretty simple because it's a pretty obvious one and I don't think it needs a huge amount of, of explanation, which is simply that power corrupts. And this is most obviously shown through Kai Wynn and Gul Dukat, of course, famous villains on the show, each of whom who had certain moments that humanized them, and we might be talking about that a little bit later. But certainly each time the two of them got a, a, a handle on a new rung of power, you could always tell that whatever bits of, I use the term humanity uh, as a kind of all-purpose uh, term for, you know, their Bajoranness or their uh, Cardassianness, but you could see little bits of their humanity leave them the more power they got. And I, I, in particular, I do, I mean, it's one of the reasons I didn't necessarily like the kind of post-Waltz Ducat, I felt some of his depth departed as a character, and I understand the direction that they went. Basically, it was a reaction to the fan reaction. Uh, I think Ira Bear was too 
disgusted that Ducat had too many uh, people out there who supported him, I think, and, and liked him and, and were defending him, that the, the writer said, nope, we're going to just make this person purely evil and, and make the point about him. But I, and I, I kind of felt that that left him a little bit too cartoonish instead of, um, instead of the depth that had, been, that had been created in the show up until that point. To, to summarize, I'd also want to add Cisco in here. I mean, you look at Cisco in the pale moonlight or in for the uniform, and certainly you can make a, a utilitarian argument for the fact that Cisco was was making the best decision possible in each of those particular cases, either to you know bring the bring the Romulans into the war or to try and snuff out the Marquis once and for all. And so there is an argument to say, look, that was the right decision, but. I see it a little bit more from the perspective that Cisco was in a position of power and the moment that you are in that position of power, there is a there is a temptation to use that power in a way that you may not have appreciated if you were not the person who was actually in power, if that makes any sense. And that temptation is a very real one and has a massive impact in real life. And so, anyway, look, I think we all know that power corrupts, but I, I think that it was certainly a theme on the show. What are your thoughts? Hey, since you wanted to keep it simple, I agree. Uh, the seventh of our uh, 25 is, uh, you know, one thing that the show really makes clear or tries to drive home is relationships are hard. Marriage is hard. And when I when I speak about marriage, I know a lot of people aren't huge fans of the Keiko and O'Brien arc of the series but I, I am one of those people who enjoys it because it shows you the realities of marriage and what what those things tend to drive people to do and uh, even going out of that just thinking about relationships the relationships between the ciscos the relationships between the ferengis and the relationships between friends they're all difficult. They take work. If you if you look at from where Jake and Benjamin start off to then something like The Visitor and then where Jake ends up. And there are so many things that happen across the spectrum of the show. And you look at these real difficult events that these people have to go through and how hard they try to hold on to those relationships and a lot of those don't succeed and the few that do you see the work that goes into them so yeah one of the things that the show taught me that i really didn't think about uh, in previous star trek incarnations because they were kind of you know villain of the week episode of the week and you really didn't get into a lot of these relationships while with ds9 you had the advantage of enjoying a story over a season and setting up storylines for a bunch of seasons is that you get to see things like this you get to see relationships take their toll on people so yeah the relationships are hard yeah and in particular i i like i love you highlighting o'brien and keiko i mean Yes, Keiko got a, a massively bad rap. I, I do remember uh, reading, I think it was a, a Women at Warp article about, uh, they did a kind of discourse analysis of, of Keiko and Miles' relationship, which is a fascinating article. Go and go and find that online and read that if you get a chance. I think the results might surprise you. It, it certainly did surprise me and I was delighted by it. And while you're there, make sure you read an article by a very smart writer about what the next Picard <laughs> show should be like. Just somebody you might know. Shameless plug. Yes, fair enough, Shashank. So, yeah, great website and, and podcast. 
and yes, your, your point about relationships is is I just look at at Miles and Bashir as an example of that, and how that has an interplay with with uh, Miles's marriage as well. Friendships, all, all relationships are hard and, and take work. So, yep, that's a great lesson from the from the show. What's our next lesson, Jamie? Okay, number eight in our list of twenty five for me is self pity is pointless. So that was a lesson. And in particular, I'm thinking here about Far Beyond the Stars. And there's a lot to be said about uh, what is, I think Barry has indicated was his favorite episode when we uh, caught up at STLV. So I felt like I needed to put uh, Far Beyond the Stars specifically here. Most people obviously think of the show from the point of view of the, the, the racism and the and what it says about society in, in, the, in the 50s and, and, and again today and potentially in the future. But for me, the the main message is is the uselessness of the funk that Cisco found himself in. And you know, when the show opens, he's miserable. His people are dying. The Cortez has just been destroyed, and he's doubting his mission effectively and his his place in the world. And the prophets give him a vision that yes, it'll, it allows the the show to make a comment about racism, but. What is the lesson for Cisco at the end of the day? What is the actual journey that the character goes on as as an experience of of being put into someone else's um, life experience? So, the way that the prophets do this is by putting him in the mind of a 1953 African American fighting against the system and saying, "Well, you think you have it hard? There are there are always there's always someone else who's worse off than than you are, and your job is to is to stay there and fight." and have a bit of perspective about what someone else has experienced. And I, I think back to the, the quote that uh, his father reads from the Bible, in fact, at the, at the end of the show, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith, which is from 2 Timothy, a letter that Paul writes to Timothy while he's imprisoned and just before he dies. And the letter is actually about how endurance is a, an essential character trait and uh, for someone who was the religious leader of, of the Bajorans, I think an important message for, for Cisco to get there. So don't sit around moping and being pitting yourself. Get on with the job and uh, and see it through. So that's uh, that's my eighth lesson. Hey, that that, that was a great lesson. Uh, again, thanks for it. I love how you're setting up the segues. But speaking of character traits, one thing that Deep Space Nine teaches us is uh, that our flaws make us who we are. There are characters like Kira. Uh, I, I like on the show that we talk a lot about Kira because both Barry and I relate to her in very different ways. And uh, for me, she's someone, you know, who sometimes is driven by her violence and she lets her past dictate her future. And she lets everything that has happened to her, rightfully so, make her a little more defensive, a little more protective, a little more isolated from everyone else. On the other hand, you have uh, characters like Quark, who let their selfishness drive who they are. And their culture of selfishness, both literally and metaphorically, that they celebrate and they bring into the show. And you're looking at these characters and you realize, wait, these are interesting characters. These are flaws that we have as a people. These are things that I deal with every day. Uh, I, I I know a father who's trying to make it work with his son, even though it doesn't work perfectly. I know a character who is not comfortable with the way their parents treated them when they were a child and they're trying to coexist and they're trying to move on in spite of these things. And 
DS9 teaches us that there is a good way to accept and recognize and in a weird way celebrate those flaws and know that these are flaws that make us who we are and nobody wants to see or even nobody wants to live or I don't think there is such a thing as a perfect human being but if there was that person would be the least interesting person in the world because (laughs) our entire lives are us trying to move on from our flaws and correct our flaws and turn them into strengths that's what DS9 does Uh, If you've really watched the show, maybe I'm taking away too much, but if you really watch the show, you see some fundamentally imperfect people doing good things. It's not about being perfect. It's about being good. And that's what DS9 does. And that's what it's trying to teach us to do is don't aim for perfect. Just try to correct and reflect and move on from your flaws. Amen. I like that. Uh, Our flaws are exactly who, uh, that's exactly what makes us who we are, right? Absolutely. Uh, what's our next lesson? Number 10. Okay, so number 10 for me is that politics is hard. It's a tricky, long, slow, imperfect process. And a, a, a certain quote from from Shakar came to mind when I was uh, putting my list together. And it's a, it's a quote. I looked it up. He says, you know, I've been a soldier and I've been a politician. And I have to say, I'm beginning to think that being a soldier was easier. And I, I just remember that because... A friend of mine is involved in politics, and um, he was part of uh, a party that was not in not in power at the time. They won the the next election, and he got in he got in and was playing a role in the in the administration that was moving in. And I just remember having a chat to him, and he was kind of indicating, "Geez, this is this is harder than it than than I thought." Actually, passing legislation, actually getting things through in in Australia, our upper house. Geez, this is. I have a lot more. Uh, I have a lot more sympathy for the previous people. You know, my opponents. I have a lot more understanding of what they were experiencing now that I'm in this position, trying to make something happen. Politics is all about compromise. It's about getting people to act in a certain way. It's about passing legislation itself is really tricky. Uh, there's a lot of competing interests. There's a lot of, of of little bits and pieces along the way, and certainly. DS9, especially in its early days, but in in particularly also through the process of the Dominion War, it's a very political show and shows the the, the process uh, of you know, macro and micro politics. And if you walked into episode one, you would assume that the last episode of season seven would be Bajor's entry into the Federation. Uh, you would think that that would be the logical place that that goes, but no, I'll, you know, a lot of stuff happens in the meantime, and so. I think that the notion that politics is a constant battle is something that shines through very clearly in the show. And it only makes, yeah, absolutely. And it only makes sense that I talk about number 11 right with number 10 too, because number 11 is there is no such thing as a perfect politician. While DS9 teaches us a lot about the process of politics and what it means to be in that world and how you can see there are seasons in that in that show where it's just a stalemate between Starfleet and Bejor, nothing is happening. They're getting close to being kicked out and, and those relationships do break. And then there is rebuilding and people change the power dynamic changes. And that's just how the real world is. And it's, I like that. It's not cookie cutter in the show. It's not ABC. Like you said, it doesn't end with, oh, Bejor is now in the Federation, everybody's celebrating. That's not the end of the show, you know? And it, it 
also really drives on the point that it takes a very special kind of imperfect people to do this job. Being in politics means sweating the details. It means compromising. It means doing the dirty deeds. It means doing whatever is necessary to get something done. And as we speak, there is a looming partial shutdown of the U.S. government. And a lot of people are going to work over Christmas vacation simply because neither side has refused to back down over a demand that is being made by the administration. You know, and this is not unlike things that have happened on the show. When you think about uh, specific arcs that happen within uh, the Dominion War or the way the Romulans and the Klingons try to coexist and there are people dying and there are real consequences. And it takes, like I said, a very specific kind of people, people like Cisco, people like Garrick, people like Gauron, people like Kira, who will go down and do the dirty work that is needed to be done. It takes these kinds of people to make politics work. And you cannot have that if you imagine yourself to be a perfect politician. You just can't make, you can't coexist in the real world while trying to be perfect, especially in the world of politics. Shashank, I hope, I think you need to keep your voice down lest the Trump administration hear about the notion of self-replicating minds uh, to cover the border uh, between the US uh, and Mexico. I'd uh, be very worried. Warning, well heeded. Uh, what's our next lesson, Jamie? Well, number 12 uh, for me is that it is easy to be a saint in paradise. And that kind of uh, flows on nicely from what we're just, uh, we're, we're talking about. You know, the Marquis part one and part two, great uh, two-part episode, has a, has a great functional role in the Star Trek universe, in particular for setting up some of uh, Voyager. And But for me, it, it is very clear. Uh, and in Cal Hudson, we have the, the message where he says, you know, out here on the frontier, a treaty is only a piece of paper. And the message does get through to Cisco, who, and there's a quote that came to my mind uh, when I was looking at this list. He says, out here in the demilitarized zone, all the problems haven't been solved yet. Out here, there are no saints, just people, angry, scared, determined people who are going to do whatever it takes to survive. And I think there's a, a related point here about the the dangers of the ivory tower and the people in our political life who make decisions without understanding the real consequences of those decisions on the ground. And if your Starfleet with its gleaming chrome XYZ back on the home world of Earth and, and you're living in the perfect post-scarcity society, but what about the people that you kind of, in inverted commas, control at the outer reaches of, of, of the frontier? And what are their lives like? And what decisions are you making that's going to ha- that are going to have an impact upon them? So, it's very easy to be a saint in paradise, but perhaps you should be thinking also about how people's lives are being affected in places where where it's it's not a paradise. So that was a something I, th- I thought came through very clearly. Oh, absolutely! That's a great point, and uh, that's a really good observation too. Number 13 on our list is uh, maybe not really wholly uplifting, but it's just a little bit of a change from the down and dirty of the politics of it all. But DS9 really drives home the point that we as a people, both collectively and individually, we can be anybody we want to be. We've talked about Rom and Nog a little bit earlier. They're great examples of how you can be from anywhere and you can do anything as long as it is something that is a personally 
positive growing choice that you've made to make yourself a better person and be it is something that is affecting the society positively you take especially the character of nog you see the, you can't help but be proud of nog even though it's it's someone in the far future who does not look like us who does not in any way resemble who we are today as a people except for the arc that they go through and and you see nog joining starfleet and you can't help but be proud of him you 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 see nog being on the defiant and you can't help but be proud of him and that's there is something so positive and incredible that these characters that are at the outset imagine if you're watching season 1 and you're just watching them tumble over themselves as they walk into each other on the bar or nog is hanging out with jake trying to hit on girls and then you see these characters go from there to being in the defiant and taking orders and helping people you realize wait that that's so beautiful that they're showing us that the the people you least expect to be somewhere are now here and you that that is a great lesson in not accepting limitations but but instead growing from them and realizing that where you start is not what matters where you end is what matters i love that and that's very close to my next point so i'm just going to throw it in here which is number 14 which for me is that people can change and i think your point is more about the the arc of possibility for an individual that we can be anyone we want to be for me it's it's not about a person's uh, achievements or where they go in life or or you know the the kind of arc that nog goes through for for example but for me the fact that someone's fundamental nature can also change over a period of time and sometimes we i think as individuals we make judgments about other people very quickly and they say you never get a second chance to make a first impression which is which is true but you look at someone like bashir who had a massive change throughout the series season 1 of bashir is absolutely painful to watch if you if you creepy he's basically a lech he's um annoying too bright-eyed i wouldn't even say naive just we would have a, a special word in australia for him called a wanker i'm not sure if that word um tra- translate across the across the globe but at any rate yet over the course of seven seasons he becomes one of my favorite characters and that that kind of change of someone's fundamental nature is is something that i think we do well not to forget in the real world which is people can change and we need to give them the opportunity to change uh and i'll i'll leave you with the thought on on this one of quark carrying odo up a up a mountain and ask yourself you know would he really have done that uh, an act of almost selflessness i mean i suppose you could argue there's there's some kind of hobbesian way through there is no such thing as a really selfless act but that's i think the example of of quark I would say he carries Odo up the mountain in an act of selflessness and if you thought that that could ever happen from a Ferengi then the the show demonstrates well you're you're wrong it it can happen from a Ferengi so yeah people can change and that's a, a great lesson from the from the show Hey uh great point and speaking of people number 15 is whenever you watch the show you can't help but be taken aback by the fact that in spite of all their disagreements and everything going on on the ship like you start an episode and you see O'Brien is taking an order that he's not really happy about Francisco but he's a working man he has, and he has to do the job 
And there's so many things inside that station that you wonder, wait, how does this station even exist? There are so many people fighting each other. And then you see an external threat and the station immediately becomes one organism. They become one moving force. And that really drives home the point that no one is as strong as all of us. And no one person's strength can even compare to the strength in unity and the strength in being that collective being and understanding that we are all stronger together as a group and as an organization. So there is from whether you take something as simple as adjusted or you take even the Dominion War to where you see Romulans not really being happy with Klingons and Klingons not really being happy with Starfleet, but to fight that war, they put their differences aside and they actually find a way to become unified so they can deal this deal with this threat head on so no one is as strong as everyone together was something that i really picked up from deep space nine and it helped me uh, feel a lot better about ourselves and humanity in general that's delightful i i like that thought that that is not something i uh, i had really thought about so yeah i really appreciate that i'll move on to my next one which is 16 Freedom is its own good, even with some deleterious consequences. So I've got a couple of couple of quotes here I pulled from the show to be thinking about freedom and whether or not it's actually a great idea. There's a, a quote from Odo to, to Kira. Uh, it has been my observation that one of the prizes of giving people freedom of choice is that sometimes they make the wrong choice. And <clears throat> I don't want to get too political on a show called Politrex, but perhaps we have seen... Some examples around the world uh, in recent years where freedom has actually led to people taking what I would consider the wrong choice, ultimately. I think there's, there's, a, there's a point at which the show really is not afraid of criticizing the Federation itself in, in many places, and Homefront and Paradise Lost were at the forefront of this, but also the, the work in, in Eddington and the Marquis, the whole arc of that particular experience uh, there's a, another quote here uh, that I thought I'd read, which is <laughs> where Eddington says, uh, because we've left the Federation and that's the one thing you can't accept. Nobody leaves paradise. Everyone should want to be in the Federation. You know, in some ways, you're even worse than the Borg. At least they tell you about their plans for assimilation. You're more insidious. You assimilate people and they don't even know it. This occurred to me when I was listening actually to your last episode of Politrex with um, Barry and Rev Left Radio, where there was some discussion about whether the Federation itself is an imperialist organization. And uh, I thought that that was an interesting discussion. What the show tells us is that the freedom to actually make your decisions, whether it is to leave the Federation, whether it is to vote for a particular party or whatever, there is actually some good in that, regardless of the consequences, that freedom is its own reward from, to, to a certain degree. Do you have any perspective on that? Oh, yeah. Those, those are all really good points. And, of course, when you're talking about, you know, pe- we as a people in the world together making wrong choices, you're, of course, talking about how back in 2013, everybody thought Into Darkness was a bad movie, but they were wrong. And Into Darkness is one of the greatest movies ever made, right? Uh, I think that was more in my first point about uh, there are more shades of grey and everything's a matter of perspective. I think that's where that comes in a little closer. Uh, no, great, great points. Absolutely agree. Uh, moving on to my next one. This is something that really hit me hard. Maybe not in the first watch or even the second watch, but 
the fourth or the fifth watch when i got to the end of ds9 and especially after watching episodes like the visitor uh, i i sat down and i thought about you know how much there is about this show that revolves around grief if you think about cisco he is a character who's ridden by the guilt that he could not save his wife and then you have kira who is ridden by the guilt that the she could not save her people as quickly as she could have and then you think about someone like odo who's secretly grieving that he does not have a people to belong to and you know in all of these various types of grief there is wisdom these characters are teaching you something very important about sadness all of us go through grief in small and big ways every day there are people who lose people uh, and then there are some of us who have something materialistic that we do and then whatever it is when we grieve over there is always an opportunity to learn and like cisco when you see that character at the start of the show you see him not really being sure of himself and does not he blames picard he blames even though he understands that it wasn't picard's fault entirely he blames him and you go you go from taking that character there to moving on and in the future you actually see him tell people about what it means to deal with something what it means to deal with the loss and that kind of growth that kind of wisdom only comes from there is a certain wisdom that grief teaches you and deep space 9 teaches you that through these characters is that the decisions that they're making and the actions that they take it's because they they were in they they went through really profound moments of grief and they learned from it they they took the positive out of it and they they found a way to they found a way to make that into something they could use i i really like that and uh moving on to my uh next lesson which is number 18 the list of 25 the souffle will either rise or it won't so that is a I mean that's not just a cooking lesson that I learned from Papa Cisco. I <laughs> I think it's <laughs> the the quote and I I've gone heavy on quotes here of, of examples where I've I pulled stuff out of the show but there's a, a a quote here from Cisco. I'm not one to agonize over decisions once they're made. I got that from my father. He always says worry and doubt are the greatest enemies of a great chef. The souffle will either rise or it won't. There's not a damn thing you can do about it, so you might as well sit back and wait and see what happens. And I think that there's a certain degree of not second-guessing yourself here, but being confident and uh, happy with decisions once they've actually been made. And I think there's a related lesson here, which is around controlling the controllables in life. So I think... Uh, in particular, I deal with this a lot in my in my professional life, uh, where I've got I I deal with a, a range of different people who try to control things that they actually can't control. There's a lot of decisions being made that they are not in control of, and so I think you need to concern yourselves with the things you can change and not with the things you can't change. And because I'm uh, you already identified at the top of the show, a big Vic Fontaine fan, I wouldn't allow this to finish with without a a, a quote from Vic. And the the classic from uh, It's Only a Paper Moon where he says, look, kid, I don't know what's going to happen to you out there. All I can tell you is that you've got to play the cards life deals you. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but at least you're in the game. So you don't know what's going to happen. You can't control everything, but you can do what you can do. And uh, anyway, I think that that's a control the controllables is a lesson there from, um, from DS9 that I thought was an important one. What's your next lesson? Well, we move on from something so important and profound in 
my number 19, which is Board Games Are Fun. Deep Space Nine <laughs> is one of those rare shows that celebrates board games and games in general, whether it's Dom Jock or uh, Dabo or even Jula. There is something really irritated me that I was reading the other day. Uh, I saw that DS9 fans on some poll voted Move Along Home as the worst episode of Deep Space Nine, which made no sense to me. Granted, it that that show that particular episode has problems, but it's entertaining. When will I ever get to see my main cast of grown adults skipping and hopping along a line? Uh, I think Shashank, that is the. I think that is the main reason why Avery Brooks no longer does conventions because someone somewhere has asked him to do Alan Moraine over and over again, <laughs> and he no longer wants to come out of his house to experience that. I have a feeling that's why he doesn't do conventions anymore. But this was just one that I, I thought of. Uh, it was just a passing observation. But y- even if you think about it, there aren't many shows that, especially set in the future and that revolve around space sci-fi, that try to you know show such forms of recreation on a ship. I think the one I can think of is uh, Pyramid from uh, Battlestar Galactica. But that's about the closest I can get to where, you know, very space focused sci-fi shows talk about how recreation is important and uh how make like relaxing and doing what you love and taking a break from life is important and they do that in the show so much and so much so that everybody now just recognizes the background noise of a dabo game or a dabo cheer you know it's you should take a break you should relax you should have fun those are all good things to do don't let anybody make you feel guilty about that. So while we talk about all the, in a way, we are just taking a break in this list too to to tell you that you know you don't always have to sit and think about the the heavy and the serious. It's okay to take a break and relax and recreate. And of course, we podcast for fun, don't we, Shashank? That's uh, that's what we do for fun. Every now Thanks. and then, I just I just podcast, so I didn't have to sit and cry in my bathtub. Well, I think. You know, doesn't DS9 tell us that podcasting is fun? There's there's a whole episode, The Sound of Her Voice, about the importance Absolutely. of podcasting. So there you, there you go. <laughs> hey, what's our next lesson, Jamie? Okay, so from the ridiculous to the sublime, kind of, uh, I'm going deep again with uh, number 20 here, which is that uh, religion can be a power for good, but can be easily perverted for personal gain. So I think DS9's a fascinating piece of the Star Trek canon because it does show religion to a degree in a in a in a positive light at times you see kaya parker you see vedek yasim principled believers who can make make a difference and 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 in particular i also think about the wormhole aliens they do in fact act as gods they do interfere in the lives of bejor um and in fact they they're responsible for the birth of cisco for crying out loud and so you look at the from the perspective of the Bajoran people, they are not insane to believe in the gods. The gods, in fact, are actually very real, and they're not imagining things. The the uh, wormhole aliens are actually impacting in the life of Bajor. And from a Cisco's perspective, it's only once he actually surrenders his resistance and accepts his role that the prophets want him to play. This is a kind of post rapture Cisco. That's the only way that he can ultimately defeat evil and, and restore balance to the force. But I think I'm switching franchises there. So even keeping that in mind, 
religion can be easily perverted for personal gain. Obviously, Kai wins the most uh, obvious example of that, but I think there are plenty of others. Dukat with his Par Wraith cult, Elixis, even the the kind of I would have her as kind of a cult leader in this anti technology community in, in, from Paradise. Makoram Lan in a, a session, just examples of people who take. Uh, the trust and, and uh, of, of individuals and turn it against them for their own personal gain. It's uh, there's a there's a thin line between uh, where religion can be a, a powerful force for good and a powerful force for evil. So anyway, that's uh, that's my number twenty. Hey, uh, just before we move on to the next lesson, that, those are great points. And while you were talking about it, you could actually almost right under the subject of your sentence the first part which is religion can be forced for good you can use that for kira's description and then you can use the predicate which is talking about how it can be used for personal gain you can put kai win there because you see such star contracts you see kira who's in a way driven by her love for uh, the prophets and the love for a religion and you can you see her praying on multiple occasions and then you see kai win who's clearly doing all all sorts of wrong things while putting on the mask of a, of a good person in religion. So yeah, that was, a, that was a really good point. Moving on to number 21. Number 21 to me is, uh, you know, I've often thought of DS9 because I'm such a huge Sylvester Stallone fan. I've thought of this show as the Rocky of all the Star Trek shows. I say that because in, in DS9, characters lose a lot. They lose most of the time. Their victories are few and far in between. And you actually learn that for a lot of these people who are not on a well-funded, always-fueled starship that has near-infinite resources, they're in a very real grounded location. And horrible things happen there all the time. People die. There is loss of property. There is rebuilding. Uh, There is looming threat from all over the galaxy. Uh, you see that there is a certain bravery there that is almost even braver than uh, some of the other crews that we followed. And you see that even though these people try so hard and they lose most of the time, they're forced to go from being a changeling and ever changing near immortal physical form to adopt one of a weak human being. You learn that the way they try to coexist that way, the way they try to survive that way is braver almost than looking at characters who shoot for something and they achieve it. There is a way, like I said, they're the Rocky of the shows to me because you see them lose a lot, but you see them keep fighting and it's beautiful. And you see that, you know, we as people in our lives, if you're one of the billions who are not lucky enough to be born with a golden spoon in their mouth, you lose a lot of the time. And you, the way you survive it and the way you deal with it shows you in a way that there is a bravery and there is a strength there that is arguably a little more than when people achieve victory and they live through that victory that they've gained. Shashank, I, I, I'm not sure this is a good time to announce the fact that I've never seen Rocky. Is that oh, a, no. Is it, man, am I, oh, let alone yeah. any of the sequels or Creed or any of the, or Apollo or whatever it is. Oh, so, man, God, I, I never I never really liked uh, kind of, odd from a fan of rugby, I never really liked uh, kind of boxing that much and the kind of 
martial arts sports. Anyway. Uh, well, Jimmy, what is lesson number 22 before you are never invited on the show again? <laughs> lesson 22 is go and watch Rocky before you podcast with Shashank, uh, <laughs> you know, and I just learned that then. Uh, thanks, DS9. No, my uh, so we've got four to go. I'm going to channel Barry again here and argue that uh, corporatism has inadvisable power in a capitalist society. The thing that uh, made me think about this is two of the Ferengi rules of acquisition. Number 34, war is good for business. And number 35, peace is good for business, which basically <laughs> means it's always good for business. And I'm kind of reminded, I'm, I saw one of these memes on the internet about, you know, this book, uh, what they teach you in the Harvard Business School, and another book, what they don't teach you at Harvard Business School. And someone was saying the entire sum of human knowledge is contained in these two books. And so from my point of view, the point that the writer there, and yes, it was a gag on the show. Oh, okay, war is good for business, peace is good for business. Easy to get them confused. Haha, <laughs> it's funny. But I think the underlying truth is there, which is that in an age of uh, corporatism, it doesn't matter what uh, is happening, people are going to make money. And uh, the, the power of, in a capitalist society, the power of the rich to swing things to their advantage is unbelievably present and concerningly so. And ironically, I think this is one of the areas where the both ends of the political spectrum actually kind of agree. The very principled conservative and the very principled liberal, they seem to both hate the notion of crony capitalism, but it seems to exist nonetheless. And I think that is probably because we go back to one of the previous points that power corrupts. But Anyway, so there you go. There's one of uh, I think this is a, while it's a gag on the show, I think that it's true that it's always good for business whether you're at peace or at war and maybe we should be having a second thought about exactly to what degree we we allow that to happen. I don't know if Barry would agree with any of that. What do you think? Hey, uh, great points there, Barry DeFord. Uh, <laughs> moving on to lesson number 23. Uh, we're winding down. Number 23 is when you watch DS9, you learn that even in the most seemingly irredeemable people there is redemption. Uh, the best example for this is, of course, Karl Dukart. You, He's everyone's favorite bad guy because there is a redemption in his character, at least for a little bit. Everything about his daughter is, in a way, his redemption. Uh, he deals with it in the worst possible way at first, but then he learns to love her. And they, there is a learning and the growth there that even the person who looks at him and goes well that's space hitler that's the dictator that's the worst guy in the universe even that person for those moments when galdukart is trying to connect with his daughter and they're trying to have a relationship or when he's grieving over her loss they can you can look at that and go wait there is there is something there that connects all of us and even if you think of characters like quark if you want to move on from the terrible to you know the imperfect. When you when you look at Quark, you often see that guy as a profiteer and someone who's yes, war and peace is good for business. So I'm going to do my best to thrive in both. Guy, you see that guy doing the right thing. He he single handedly saves the ship uh, on a few occasions. And there are places where he does the worst possible thing. Says the most sexist thing. Says the most racist, ridiculous thing. And you you go from there that to then him in his actions, like you were mentioning earlier, walking order up the mountain. So yeah, there there is there is that 
drive home again uh, uh, the benefit of watching the show over the number of seasons that it has the number of story arcs that it has that expand across seasons the benefit of that is you get to see that you get to see these characters and you get to learn uh, what it means to even find some kind of redemption in the most irredeemable people uh, i'm not sure that i would use the word redemption per se but i think Certainly the DS9 writers more than anyone like to play with your preconceived notions of their bad guys and provide humanizing moments all the way through. And there's a there's a quote from Kai Wynn that I want to add here, which I could have used earlier on, but I've saved for this particular lesson. Uh, and I just distinctly remember listening to it and going, oh, okay. Uh, and it's from Rapture where she tells Kira, those of you who are in the resistance you're all the same. You think you're the only ones who fought the Cardassians, that you saved Bajor single-handedly. Perhaps you forget, Major, the Cardassians arrested any Bajoran found to be teaching the word of the prophets. I was in a Cardassian prison camp for five years, and I can remember each and every beating I suffered. And while you had your weapons to protect you, all I had was my faith and my courage. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, she has a point. DS9 always liked to find those little moments where they could turn your expectations on 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 its head and uh, and surprise you with little bits of uh, humanizing moments to make you doubt yourself. And I lo- love that about the show. So on to my last one, my uh, my last point, number twenty four, which is even in the darkest moments you can always find something that'll make you smile. And that's obviously a, a quote from In the Cards, but I do. I do think that there's something about DS9 that forever, it's ever for always hailed as the dark uh, Star Trek, but I never really saw it that way. I think that the show has incredible moments of light and what it is about is it's about identifying the fact that life isn't easy, life is difficult, but there are always these moments in in life that will allow you to smile. And I think that's why... An example of this being right before the entire station is taken from the Federation, we in Call to Arms, we have an episode as delightful as in the cards. Similarly, just as we're about to begin the final 10 episode arc to finish the whole series, DS9 decides to do Ocean's Eleven with the DS9 cast. There are there are little bits of serendipity and joy all the way along the way, and we need to latch onto those, and I'm very happy for that. So that's my last lesson. What's your last lesson? Well, uh, I, this was something I wrote down, I swear, before I even looked at your list. And then I just moved it all the way to the bottom because it felt like a good mirror, get it, uh, of, the, of the lesson that you just told us. And that is that all hope is temporary. All hope is fleeting. And <laughs> vigilance is essential. It's, it's key to uh, a good existence or a good life. The what DS9, like I was saying earlier, teaches us is that these characters and the people we love lose a lot. And if you go out of the the, mac, the micro and look at the macro of it all, you see that that means it's a particularly dark show. There are very, very tragic, heartbreaking moments. And then there are characters who try as they might, just cannot get out of the rut that they're in and the situation they're stuck in. And the little moments of hope that they have, the little victories that they have, they pale in comparison. For example, if you look at endings of seasons where, oh, there are characters standing triumphant and they're having a good moment. And then somewhere in the background, you realize, oh, wait, but the Dominion War is looming. You know, they might have won this little battle now, but the war rages on. 
and that is what life is and that is what our existence is is that we're all dealing with looming existential problems on an everyday basis and even though there are these small fleeting victories that we have these moments of hope it's important to remember that the vigilance that we have within us is what is essential it's necessary to keep living to to if when the show starts one of the most powerful quotes if i may steal your thunder for a bit is uh, bashir is standing and overlooking a window and he says you know i came here to pursue frontier medicine and this is a guy who could have had the cushiest desk job in the world but he gave that up to come and pursue life in a hostile dangerous environment and you know that is what life is is even though we want the most perfect of situations often that's not the case we we lose a lot we deal with darkness often and we f- have that fight that that battle every day and that's why it's important to be vigilant and keep our expectations real from life and keep our expectations from ourselves real and not aim for the perfect but the good and again be vigilant about these ever present dark threats that are looming and doing our best to shine our light that's a great place to finish because it it uh what's the next what's the next line after that i think kira says something to the effect of listen here you cowboy this frontier is my home and so i think with both of those perspectives and and ds9's ability to be able to undercut your expectations in the very next line that's a that's a great place to finish hey jamie thank you so much for joining me on this episode where can people find you jamie they can find me on Twitter at, at jmacref, J-M-A-C underscore R-E-F. And thanks for inviting me on. I um, I hope everyone's enjoyed a bit of a long slog getting through 25 lessons, but it's always enjoyable because who doesn't want to talk as much as possible about DS9? It's just the greatest. Um, so, And thanks to Barry for not being around and allowing me to do this. Yeah, like I said earlier, uh, there will be a silent coup if Barry keeps doing this to me and abandons me for a real life and a girlfriend and and having human responsibilities. That's just not okay. I did not sign up for that when we decided on this show. Barry, I of course scared. I've got I've got some human responsibilities. They just don't start at this particular time here in Australia. So uh, I've, I've got to go and I've got to actually go pretty soon and do and do some human responsibilities. And you also have responsibilities, of course, to General Zod, your dog. And uh, right. I hope the both of both of you, even if you don't uh, celebrate it, have a, a, a happy holiday. Thank you. Uh, this holiday is just me uh, just slaving over my puppy and being puddy in his paws. So that's going to be my Christmas weekend, which is great. I don't complain at all. He's joyful. Hey, uh, people, if you enjoy dog pictures and controversial opinions and funny, nerdy things, you can follow my personal account on Twitter on at gutter underscore hero. That's G-U-T-T-E-R underscore H-E-R-O. It's about the only social media I do. Facebook is evil. Abandon it. Get off that ship. You're not doing yourself any favors. <laughs> Just jump away right now. Uh, but and you can also find our show, as I mentioned earlier, on at Polytrex, P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S on Twitter. If you are so inclined and you really enjoy all our shows, and we have a bunch of them for you to enjoy uh, from all uh, areas in Trek, uh, feel free to contribute to our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash the Transmissions. Until next episode... And definitely 
the prophets willing there will be a section 30 of this show when we celebrate the 30th anniversary <laughs> of ds9 in five years we'll definitely have jamie back on and there'll be a whole lot more ds9 but until then live long and prosper and onward to star society